Okay, here I am in the accommodating pulpit here. I don't have to run up and down the stairs, and that's a great advantage. We're going to be talking in about the first ten verses of chapter two of First Peter. First Peter chapter two, so you can have a look at that. I was really surprised uh, as I really worked to get through, get this sermon put together. I was not getting cooperation from the hospital. They plunked me in there and didn't even have my Bible with me, so that was, uh, that was just that. But there's a lot to think about in this passage of Scripture. It's a great passage of Scripture. But it carries us through, I, I was surprised to find how many times this kind of thing is quoted in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's obvious what it is here in the New Testament, but you know, you look at the Old Testament and it's the history of the nation of Israel. It really starts them off with the law that they received as an entity which is a tremendous thing. They had a full system of law that you can read about in the Old Testament. They had a system of sacrifice and worship. And their principles of it was primarily this. You got a revelation from the Lord, obey it. If you do, you'll be blessed. If you don't, there's some curses I want to announce to you. And they're going to happen too. So you make a choice. What are you going to do? What are you going to live with? Well, that's the Old Testament. That's not the New Testament. But let's look at them. I'm going to read a couple to you. Psalms 118, 22 and 23. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. That's quite a verse for Psalms, isn't it? It's very much tracks with what we're going to come up with in the New Testament as we look at 1 Peter. There's more. The history of Israel unfolded. There was a time when they were scared to death of the Assyrians. The Assyrians were coming up with a great army. And it was a great army. They were quite the people. Their main sport was hunting lions. They didn't want to mess with deer or anything like that. They hunted lions. And there's much of the uh, things of the Assyrians that give that entity. Now, we discovered, one of the things I discovered when I visited the British Museum over in London was they had the gates of Nineveh in that museum. And you could see them. You could see the things that were on the on the gate and <laughs> I can see what they were afraid of. The Assyrians had a great army. But there's always been people we've been afraid of. People that we had a struggle defeating even as the United States. Here's what it says in Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah is when you find something out about the Assyrians and they were afraid of the Assyrians. It is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy. And he shall be your fear. He shall be your dread. 
you're worried about something, worry about the Lord. Then he shall become a sanctuary. But to both the houses of Israel, a stone to strike and a rock to stumble over, and a snare and a trap for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many will stumble over them. They will fall and be broken. They will even be snared and caught. Whew. That doesn't sound like a great verse to preach from, does it? But that's how this whole idea of this passage is laid out in the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter 28, it says this, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed, and he who believes in it will not be disturbed. I'm putting in place a stone, says the Lord. And then it goes to the New Testament. Now, New Testament is radically different because we're not an earthly people that are being sought there. We're a people of heaven. And the Lord came. This rock that was firmly placed, he came. And he died on the cross of Calvary. He redeemed us, redeemed, provided salvation. And that foundation firmly placed, as it says there in Isaiah, he who believes in it will not be disturbed. He who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ will not be disturbed. Romans 9, for a verse in the New Testament besides our verse. What shall we say then? that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness that is by faith. This is Romans 9, 30 to 33. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they didn't pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. Just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Right there, this stone is attributed to the Lord in this picture. And then we go to our verses in 1 Peter. The first 10 verses of that chapter, one, uh, chapter 2. And I want you to, one thing I want you to conclude is this, this whole story about a stone being placed by God is both an opportunity and a warning. It's not all good news because that same rock that's placed firmly there as a precious stone, a cornerstone by the Lord, can be a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense and those that stumble over it are going to be lost. This is the great divider, if you will. Here's what Peter says in chapter 2. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord grow in respect of salvation, and coming to him as to a living stone, rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God, 
You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him shall not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, the same became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and in this doom they were also appointed. But you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now that's quite a paragraph. And it identifies very clearly with those Old Testament verses. And it identifies very clearly that this revelation of God for us is both an opportunity and a warning. The opportunity is to accept Jesus Christ. And that's presented to us, to every single one that is here today. Now we can look at the different time periods that this passed through. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, still the same, still unchanged, quoted in 1 Peter. There it is. That picture is unchanged, and it refers to the Lord Jesus Christ. He was set by God. When they talk about that stone, it's always a setting, and it even says set firmly by God. It is a fixed stone, a fixed gospel. There's a way of salvation, and it's not what the world comes up with. It's not that idea of an objective, of some people that are going to live right so they're going to please God. It is not, it is not carrying anything over that way. But this stone impacts every single life like it or not, it impacts every life. And what that choice is, is an immovable revelation. It's unavoidable. People cannot walk around Jesus Christ and say, well, I just don't think I'm going to believe that. If you do, you're going to fall on the wrong side of this stone. It's very clear about that. We are forced to deal with him in our lives. But the choice, the choice is with the individual. What are you going to do with Jesus Christ? We reject him or accept him. It's our choice. Those consequences are there. And whatever the circumstances, and we, you know, you look at what's going on in our lives right now. We have a lot of people that are sick. We are losing people, Christians, believers. And there doesn't seem to be any answer to it. But the fact of the matter is, 
Whatever the circumstances, that stone is there for us. That Jesus Christ is there for us. Little really changes. You know, we look around for somebody to be afraid of in the enemy category, and we can always find them. Russians have always been a, a major, major portion. The news will tell you, well, we're worried about Putin considering nuclear weapons. I don't worry about that. I don't worry about any of this. The Lord's in charge of all this. And the fact of the matter is, there stands this stone in our road. And you can't really walk around it. You can't really get away from it. You've got to deal with that stone. And with all the changes in the world, things that have gotten different, he hasn't changed. That stone is still there. We're going to talk a little bit about that. And we've all faced our own times. And I got thinking about this. I'm, you know, I'm approaching a milestone in terms of age. I may be one of the few people you know who lived through the entire World War II. That was kind of alarming to me. Now, I was born in 1938. I was three in 1941. And for some reason or other, I remember a lot of things. I think it was because my father used to read to me, and I learned how to read because I could see that was a necessity. But in 1941, I remember that. I remember it. I remember being attacked as a nation. A surprise attack and all the battleships in Pearl Harbor got sunk and thousands were killed. And I don't know if anybody else here lived through that, but I did. The thing I remember the most is my father's anger. He was not a man that got angry easily. But he was angry. The one thing he wanted was his officer commission back in the Navy. Right then, by Monday morning, he wanted it back. He wanted back into the Navy, and he was going to go and do something about it. Interesting. He had fought in World War One in the Navy. I remember putting packages together for relatives in England. We were shipping food over there. And I remember saying to my mother, what are we doing that for? Why don't they go to the grocery store? Well, they can't get it. They can't get any of these things. We were shipping a canned ham and a few other things, boxing them up, and they were going to England. I remember no metal toys. If you, if you had a metal truck, you turned it in and fired it back at the Japanese and the Germans. That's the way it was. One of my jobs in the kitchen was to stamp on the cans, to flatten them out, and we put them out and be taken away for the defense of the country. We were on the East Coast. And the East Coast was an interesting battlefield. 
because the German Navy was out there with submarines and they were torpedoing ships coming out of the New York Harbor, coming out of the Hudson River. And you can go there now and in the, on the, in the shore, the shore, that's, in, that's New Jersey. You don't go to the coast, you go to the shore. You can see the relics of ships that were torpedoed right off the beaches. My father was a warden making sure that people turned out the lights in their house at night or put, pulled their blackout shades. They wanted it black and blacked out because you could see the ships sailing against the, against the background of lighted homes in New Jersey and that would gave, them a, gave the submarines a good shot at them. So they tried to get it completely dark. I remember having to watch the or watch, no, not watch the news, listen to the news nightly and see my father plot the progress of the Navy in the Pacific. Still grousing about not being able to go. Then the victory came. Soldiers came home. People that had been enlisted for the entire war got to come home because it was over. And it was a great time. I got a bazooka shell that they brought for me. It was a treasured possession for quite a while. I don't know what happened to it. I probably left it at a previous address. But there was no more rationing. No more ration books. You could have a little sugar and bake a cake. A great time. Toys came back in. There were metal cars. There were cap pistols. There were all kinds of things. Things seemed to go back to normal. You know, we have trouble defining our enemies today. The lineup seems to be changing. We've, we're sitting here and a war is going on in Ukraine. A shooting war. There's continued opposition. It's there. Morality has slipped away. When you begin to listen, when you listen to the news, do you hear anybody mention God? Do you hear any people being quoted mentioning God? I can still remember Roosevelt, who was not a popular man in my family, but I can remember him talking about God as he declared war on Japan. We were trusting God as we went to war, and it, wasn't a, it was not a foregone conclusion that things were going to come out right. It looked bad. But it did. And the Lord was involved. In it. Now, we're, we are different. We're Christians. We're believers. We have been told about some things. We know about the Old Testament. We know about the salvation that is available in the New Testament. Salvation by faith. The righteousness of God. My favorite verses in Romans. Now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed. And it's Jesus Christ. And he's provided salvation.
provided complete forgiveness of sin because of who he was. But there's changes in terms of the reception of it. We're informed, but we're also informed about the hope that we have of a rapture. That before this is all over, the Lord is going to step in and take every single one of the believers out of here. All of us that know the Lord is our Savior. Now it's kind of like this picture here of the stone because it's an opportunity and it's a warning because there's no second chances and you can see that in God's dealings when that rapture takes place and we believers are taken out to be with Christ for all eternity the people that don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior are going to stay and it's not a pretty picture. The other prophecies are ugly. Talks about a terrible period of tribulation. Talks about God coming in judgment. Many deaths, many, many, many things that we hope we would never see. But there they are in the Bible. One of those quotes talks about the talks about the people that are left. I don't like to think about that, do you? That is spooky, and I want to know that all my kids are going. I want to know that they know the Lord is their Savior. That's why I've spent so much time at, at camp, because I see that as a wonderful, fruitful time for young people to be reached for Jesus Christ and make a decision for Jesus Christ. And I think I'm going to see every last one of them on the ride up with the Lord. But I want them all to know the Lord. But it says there in Psalms 18, way back when, the builders reject the stone. You know, today's rejection is pretty sophisticated. Rejected with argument, with discussion. We want to discuss everything. And nobody wants to discuss it with God in the context. It's changed. And the rejection seems to be the accepted position. God is basically dismissed from educated discussion. They don't want to talk about God. Yet still, God is an essential issue today. This stone picture tells us that. As Christians, remember this. The Bible is our source and validation for our thinking. That's the place to look. That's the place we can be confident in. That's the place we know is true. Don't accept anything less. I remember the fact that I really learned a lot of things up at camp. And uh, the one that I went to and I've spoken about them, Deerfoot Lodge. But they have an objective that they might produce men of God in a wilderness context. 
and they were serious about that. What's a man of God look like? And we had lessons from the scriptures about what a man of God looks like. And somehow or other that took with me, even as a kid. And I wanted to be a man of God. I saw people, Christians that were staffers at that camp, that were godly people. I knew men of God up there. And I wanted to be like them. had minor success with that. I don't think I'm, but I think I'm, I know I'm accepted by the Lord. Now there's a new definition of people. And I remember reading the Saturday Evening Post once as a kid. <laughs> if you didn't live through World War II, you never did, didn't read the Saturday Evening Post probably either. We got that every week. And it had an interesting cartoon in it. It had lots of things. But there was an article one day in that, after the war was over, by Billy Graham. He put it in the Saturday Evening Post, and he got a lot of heat for it because he said there were three categories of people, biblically. The Jew, the Gentile, which is all other, and the Church of God the Jew, the Gentile, and the Church of God. And I've never forgotten that. Even with the flap that it caused. The man that probably was as much responsible for my spiritual growth from Detroit had a favorite expression that demonstrated his concern. It was this, the Lord's people. The Lord's people. What would the Lord's people think? What, would, what needs to be done for the Lord's people? And he took those steps, and I think that's a good way. That's that third group of people, the Jew, the Gentile, the Lord's people. And it says at the end of this, in, in our verses in 1 Peter chapter 2, that we are to proclaim his excellencies, the excellencies of Jesus Christ. And I think the best place to do that is the breaking bread that we've remembered here this morning. To proclaim his excellencies, who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's the quote from this passage. That's what we're to do as we worship the Lord. That's really what worship amounts to, is proclaiming the excellencies of the Lord. It goes on to say things that define us. A chosen race. Boy, there's a racial comment right up front. Chosen race. There must be something wrong with that. No, there is not. The chosen race are all believers, irrespective of anything else about them. They have believed in the Lord God, and they are saved, and they are saved for eternity. That's it. Do you believe that? I hope you do. But that's race that counts, a chosen race. 
And we recognize that we're chosen by God. Faith in Christ matters. It matters desperately. And it will be a decision point at some point in life, maybe in our lifetime, maybe even in mine, who knows? Might be tomorrow. We're a royal priesthood. Now that's quite a phrase to talk about believers. A royal priesthood. We are highly regarded by God, royally regarded by God. We've got special distinctions as we intercede for others as priests. Our prayer really matters. I was happy to know that people were praying for me. Gave me confidence that I'd probably get out of that hospital eventually. They didn't seem too anxious to let me go. Nor did they ask me any questions about, should I go? I think I've had every test listed. With never, nothing was defined. A royal priesthood, can you imagine that? Believers whose prayer makes a difference. We're God's, God's possession. We're known by him who called us. Jesus knows who we are. We're protected eternally. We're not going to lose our life apart from the Lord allowing it. I really believe that. Jesus knows who we are. And we will see him one day. So there's a priesthood of kings, a royal priesthood, to proclaim his excellencies. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. Now, how are you doing with your proclamations? How's your study doing? Have you developed in the study the excellencies of the Lord? The excellent characteristic of him? That's the objective of daily reading. That's the objective of reading through the Bible in a year. We become more familiar with our Lord and more familiar with the, how excellent he is in comparison to everything else. And that's the way it should be. Now we get in this, we've, we've as I read, we've got the rundown of all of the elements of that rock, of that stone. This is contained in scripture. And he quotes Old Testament verses here. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him should not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected has become the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, for they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. Now that's an ugly verse. 
People don't like to think of election in terms of salvation and loss. But this verse is a hard one to deal with. This doom, they were also appointed. The Lord knows who is going to believe in him, who is truly saved and true, is working their way around that stone, trying not to deal with it. And that's scary to me, really scary. I can't tell you how relieved I was when the last of my children got saved. I know where they're going to be. True of my grandchildren as well. That's a blessing the Lord has given me. I want to see them grow too, and that isn't always automatic. But we grow because we study. We grow because we read the scriptures. We grow because we consider these things and think about them. And the very best of everything is to be found in Jesus Christ. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 2, we get some specific direction, too. It's hard direction. It's things we need to look at and think about. Where does he start? Right up at the, up at the top. Look it up, Evan. Oh, right in the first verse. Putting aside all malice and all guile. How about our writings, our voice messages, our reactions, our comments? Putting aside malice, the evil in our communications. And we can bury evil in our communications just to be satisfied with it ourselves. That may be related to hearing what someone says and saying, well, I know what he thinks, what he really thinks, and discount it all. Can't do that. Putting aside all malice and evil, the evil in our communications, the attribution to ourselves of how good we are can get into that malice and guile. And we got to be worried about it. We got to think about it. People are watching. Little people especially are watching. My mother had a favorite expression that she would talk when she would notice me listening carefully to what the adults were saying. Little pictures have big ears. Little pictures have big ears. Look at who's standing there listening to what you're saying there. It's not honoring to the Lord. So, get rid of all guile, all malice and guile, and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. What we say is really important. What about the pretense of our communications? Do we pretend we're better than we are? Or do we pretend we know what the Lord knows about us? Do we appreciate that? If we got pretense, we tend to take what other people say and say, well, 
What he really means is this, pretense, slander. That's an ugly word, isn't it? That's even illegal. Although you'll notice it never gets really litigated. There's always some excuse for slander. We're not to make excuses for us. We're not to make excuses about talking about a wrong subject that other people may be suffering with. But we're to desire the Word of God. If we have tasted of the kindness of God, if you know the Lord and you've experienced His blessing in whatever small way, you should be desirous of the Word of God. You should really want to leave it, want to read it, and then grow in respect to salvation. We've got to clear the, clear the decks, if you will. A little expression of my father's, I think. Uh, that we now are interested in the scriptures. I hope the scriptures really interest you. They really tie me in knots. I had a friend once that said he's getting worried about reading the Bible because he keeps, he keeps finding things he can't do. And the Lord condemning him in it. And many times that's what I read in the scripture and it smacks me right in the head to see that I'm not doing what is declared by the Lord to be the wrong thing. But we've received mercy. We have received blessing and we can count on it. We're of value personally to God. And our faith is what makes us valuable. It's what we believe. It's what puts us in the, in the category of the Lord's people. Now note there at the end it says, the very cornerstone. That's an interesting word that got slipped in there. It's the world rejecting the Lord as irrelevant and not to be considered in philosophical discussion and yet understanding the blessing of God and knowing the reality of God in our lives. We're connected. We're connected to Jesus alone. He is the only one, the only reaction. The world's rejection of Jesus Christ is irrelevant. The end of the time, end of time when God steps into this thing, it's not going to be a population count. There's not going to be any poll as to what they think it ought to be. The saved will be taken out. The unsaved will be left. We are connected to Jesus alone. We've got a wonderful opportunity. This picture gives you an opportunity and a warning. And they're both there. 
Don't trifle with Jesus at all. Don't think that you can avoid this decision, this choice that must be made because of the placement of this cornerstone. It can't be moved. The only thing that can happen is you stumble over it. As one who suddenly finds himself stumbling, I don't like it very well, but if I catch my toe on something, all of a sudden, I can be flat on the ground. Now I don't because I move so slow anymore. But that's what can happen when you least expect it. So it's important to know where you stand with Jesus Christ. Is he a precious stone set in place by God that is the cornerstone of the building? Or is it different? Is there no building? Is there no cornerstone? Is there no God? I hope you don't think that. I hope you recognize that God is reality. And when he sent Jesus Christ into this world, it was like a rock in the road. And it doesn't change. And he's there for a decision. Will you accept him as your savior? It will have implications, I understand that. But there's nothing more important to the decisions that you make in life. I pray that that's the case. I have prayed for many a young person going to camp and seen a number of them saved. May it be so for each one here, that you're confident in your salvation, that you know your children know the Lord as personal Savior. May it be so. Let's close in prayer, shall we? Father, we recognize so often that we are limited in our understanding. We can be taken in by arguments in our world, by circumstances in our world. But Lord, we know, know from your word, that the coming of Jesus Christ placed that immovable cornerstone, that valuable treasured stone in this world, never to be moved. And people have to face that. And when they do, Lord, I pray there would be people to tell them about salvation. That's why we encourage people to be missionaries, to go to different places, to testify at camp, to do the, do the things that we can do. Lord, encourage our hearts. Help us not to be discouraged with our world, but may we be encouraged with the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We thank you. Bless us as we separate now in Jesus' name. Amen.